Acting Captain's Law 0.03. I am your Acting Captain, Lieutenant Commander Ray, and today our mission is discussing the board. I've selected a handful of episodes for us to review that I think paint a clear picture of how the Borg affect the people and civilizations they do and don't assimilate, as well as their unilateral goal to rid the universe of any individuality and diversity. And we have Commander Stephanie. Hello. Lieutenant Commander Morgan. Always a pleasure. Lieutenant Kara. Hi, friends. Chief Petty Officer Jake. Hello. And Ensign Lily. Hello. Now, the first episode, or episodes I chose for this discussion is The Best of Both Worlds, which is the episode, two-part episode, where Jean-Luc Picard, Captain Picard of the USS Enterprise, gets assimilated. What are your guys' thoughts? So, uh, what I thought really interesting was that the Borg wanted a spokesperson for the human race, and Mm -hmm. they just didn't discriminately assimilate people. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, this part of the crew comes on to the Borg cube, so they had plenty of opportunity, but they wanted that spokesperson, which at one point kind of seems like counterintuitive to what they do later. I guess it seems almost negotiation at some point, but they don't negotiate. I've always found it a little weird that they gave him an identity within this clear situation where people are not supposed to have identities anymore. Like, he's the only one who gets named by the Borg themselves. Um, You know, we have Hugh and Seven who, you know, become individuals and they get named but locutus is named by the board as locutus and then is also called locutus by the board so uh, i always found that terribly interesting i wonder why that choice was made but i don't hate it i like it actually because it signifies his importance towards their domination of the sector you know i always thought it was a like a power play for the board like, I, I thought it was a way for them to put, like, hey, we got your captain now. Yeah. And this is what you should call him when you look in his face and get sad because we're going to assimilate you. I just kind of took it as a rubbing rubbing Starfleet's noses in in the Borg's success and the Federation's failure. Also, I, obviously, like, there's a certain level of, like, antagonism and like psychological terrorism involved in kidnapping and maiming and appropriating Captain Picard but also he's the a very logical choice in terms of uh like intelligence like uh like taking him and then uh, and then assimilating his body of knowledge especially like what the the plan is uh you know Shelby's aboard has been la- he's been reading all of these reports he has all of the information which is why Wolf 359 goes the way it goes. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it's specifically because, like, he's, a, he's an ideal target from an intelligence standpoint. And then, of mm-hmm. course, we've got that, the first contact, they throw a, a kind of a wrench into it uh, with the Borg Queen. But overall, like, overall, it, it is, it's interesting that they named him. And that was, like, before, I, like, I saw First Contact as one of the first things I saw. But then when I was putting it in context, like, if I had been watching Star Trek at the time it was airing and those two episodes had happened, that would have been one of the things that I really 
debated with other fans being like, why did they name him Locutus? Like, is was this just mm-hmm. the writers being writerly or like, what can we do to analyze the Borg using that? Because names? What? Now that you guys are mentioning it, we first meet the Borg in the Q Who episode where Q comes aboard, basically throws them across the universe where they first encounter the Borg. And I think because it was a brief encounter, I don't want to say essentially they got a taste for blood. They're not technically, according to Q or Guinan, having Saporka had met the Borg at that point, but he changed the timeline. And now the Borg know that the species exists and they want to assimilate them. So when they re-encounter them in the best of both worlds, I almost think of it like they wanted to portray how much of an adversary they were. And so they selected a, an ambassador, basically, a representative who they could absorb his knowledge. Now, as a tenured officer and the captain of the flagship, like you said, that's a, a very important person to assimilate, to gain everything he knows. But also in naming him, they've also said, now I've taken your identity. This is what we do when we assimilate people is we steal who you are. We've made you what we want you to be. And giving him a name now, I've not done much research on the the actual meaning of the name Locutus, if there is one. But it seems like for the rest of the franchise, we hear them name him that way. And it's not like Seven where it's like you're just a regular drone, tertiary adjunct. Like Seven, he is a very important board because we took him and we assimilated him. We've taken everything that you know. You have nothing now without us. Um, I just thought that was kind of interesting. Since we're talking about Q Who, um, I love how Q defines the board. And I think this is key in who they are and their motivation as the ultimate users. Like this, it's one of the things that makes them so scary is this horrifying empirical nature of the Borg that go, and they specifically capture Picard to use him, whether it's for the terror, the, the, the like psychological warfare or use him for the intelligence or just whatever. Like it's a great, it's a great definition that really adds to their horror. So you said you did not know what the name Locutus meant. So I got right on the Google and it's actually an awesome definition and also slightly underwhelming but this says locutus came from the latin and means the one who speaks okay so the board said hey we need a spokesperson okay let's name him let's name him spokesperson and that's the uh, they're very spot on the nose right there. Classic. Right. spot on the nose oh, in King Lily. yeah good yeah, going off of that, I'm gonna kind of push back with my own theory. When you said they renamed him, kind of to assimilate him, mm-hmm. I feel like they kind of did the opposite. Like they assimilated him and said, "Hey, these humans really like individuality. Let's actually try and give this one a name, so they feel mm-hmm. a little less bad about assimilation." I don't know. That's kind of what I was getting at. They chose a single guy to represent them, and that gives me the uh, the perspective that at some 
after assimilation, they start caring about their people. And I think they do care to some level. So they wanted to give people that comfort in their boogie way. Yeah, that's kind of brought to mind like a question, if I could just kind of throw it out there. Like in, in that one Voyager episode when Janeway is like reading quotes, she quotes Picard as say, saying, or who was it? It was one of the captains said that the yes. Borg are pure evil. And yeah. so, but this is a question I kind of just have, like, are the Borg really evil or malicious? Like, do they really delight in the suffering of others? Do they delight in the domination of of civilizations and other species? Is there like an actual like emotional malice to it? Or are they just like hungry and like weirdly neutral? Like, what do you guys think about that? Um, honestly, I think that that's a perfect segue to regeneration because that's honestly how I felt about what they represented in the timeline is we essentially see these drones left over from traveling back in time during first contact. And when this research team, learners, okay, meet these new drones and, and attempt to learn about them, they end up being assimilated. And they venture off into space. They steal a ship. They venture off into space. And essentially, they're learning as they go. I really think that it's an an attempt to access and acquire to learn all there is to know. We kind of see that a little bit in a few other um, Voyager episodes um, with Seven of Nine and, and the things that she's accumulated throughout her time with the Borg. Um, But in regard to regeneration, I I think that that makes, that's a great comparison as far as their learning because they don't know what they are, the scientists who have been assimilated. They just keep going um, because that it's built into them to acquire as much as they can, if that makes sense. It's, It's interesting to me that you quote the like, learn all that they can. To learn all is learnable kind of reminds me of V'ger from Star Trek, the motion picture. One of the things that makes me wonder, because I, I, that quote too, kind of, I thought about that with the quote about Picard being like, they are pure evil. What makes them pure evil? Because in a conceptual sort of way, they're just one, like they're a collection of all these one people. And what does that say? Like in a perfect world, I'd wondered if we shared like a Borg collective, what would society be like? Would it be just out using? Would it be out conquering? Or would it create these emotional connections between people? And I think the difference is the Borg have the Borg Queen from First Contact and the later Voyager episodes, this kind of authoritarian authoritarian figure that's using these drones, using these people to use up all the resources to kind of fill this, I guess, void she has. That's a great point. Yeah, I was thinking uh, as an answer to uh, Stephanie's question that the Borg, I mean, they kind of remind me of any robot or AI in science fiction that when they think about, you know, what what do we need to do to make things better? Oh, let's get rid of organic life and, you know, we'll just be the best. And I, I feel like it's not exactly malicious. They definitely don't care about life, but they're just like, hey, we ran the numbers and this is the best way to do it. And, uh, and I think that Voyager episode that you had us watch where Chakotay is on that, uh, mm-hmm. that planet, 
Mm-hmm. You know, that's where he learns and, and, you know, we kind of learn that a collective isn't necessarily bad. Right. But um, they had a great line at the end of the episode, how long until, I don't know, how long until their ideals expire or something? How long mm-hmm. until they start to get corrupted by, well, everyone should be in a collective. Let's just go get everyone. And right. Yeah. How long, how long will their ideals last? in face of the power of being able to control. It's a wonderful quote, like just wonderful. Oh yeah, it was, it was great. I should have written it down, but, but yeah, it's, I, uh, it's not inherently malicious. That's my take on it. Yeah. I feel well, like they slowly changed what the, the, not the theology, but the principles of the book are. I feel mm-hmm. like in TNG and in the Enterprise episode, they are emotionally primitive in the way that they do not deceive. And I think you can contrast that with um, the Federation almost. Both seek to assimilate, but even though we view the Federation as good, there's no question that they do assimilate and um, take cultures and kind of lessen them to some degree. We have some characters talking about that throughout the series. And in Voyager, I was personally disappointed between Unity and um, the episode when they get seven. Both are mm-hmm. uh, both center on deception. The Borg deceived. The, the group mindset deceives. I I was kind of disappointed with that turn. I think it would be much more interesting if they did stay this brutal but completely honest species. I think that would have been a much easier, much more difficult um, conundrum to deal with. But because we do see them deceive, it's easier to classify them as evil, which I don't, I wouldn't like to classify them as. I want to take that deceive back to that ultimate user definition. Like the reason they do it, the reason like first contact wasn't in the homework, but the reason the Borg queen like flirts with data and gives him skin is it's all about control and their ultimate goal to achieve mm-hmm. perfection. It, it, the deception portion, I will say whatever it takes to get the job done is kind of what's necessary. Whatever we need to do to acquire this person, these people, this culture, this civilization, whatever the case may be, she's going to she's gonna orchestrate that. Yeah, I've got so many things to say about the Borg. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing that just like kept coming through my the mind is we're talking about them as, as users. And, and, and I feel like in Q Who, the fact that they're very disinterested in the crew and really only interested in the technology and there's and that is a through line that sh- sort of shows up here and there mm-hmm. where it's like in early TNG and then they kind of shifted which you can make arguments about like the the, the Borg shifted their focus when they encountered humanity because you know humanity mm-hmm. is the Mary Sue of the galaxy right. um it's like it's so perfect that they named him Locutus because they're like locusts and I was just reading earlier that the Ooh. guy who like came up with the Borg Maurice something, one of the producers, uh, he initially conceived of them as being insects, 
but it was okay. just too expensive. It was just too expensive to have them be insects. And then they shifted to cyborgs because that makes sense. And so thinking about them, like, because we talk about them as like a hive mind and a collective, but yeah. I was thinking of them specifically as locusts where they are just mindlessly almost or like without any real feeling just operating on mm -hmm. programming on like uh, on programming that is instinct you know that mm -hmm. is like it's organic as well as technological so that they're just they're just eating machines they're just consuming 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 but then when you introduce this idea of the Borg queen and you introduce this idea of them experimenting with using the individual individuality of let's say alpha quadrant humanoids <laughs> mm -hmm. uh that then they then they start becoming more emotional like you start having this intent this emotional intent and like you know can do the borg start engaging in revenge like you know is uh, are they trying to wage psychological warfare and mm -hmm. demoralize us or are they as lily suggested um actually trying to soften the assimilation mm -hmm. process because in unity we get this sense and by the fact that so many disconnected board want to go back we get this sense that the collective experience is euphoric one of the notes i actually took for unity was the cooperation that they had um on the planet felt very much like military expats and and it said it feels like an allegory for veterans because where a lot of veterans have ill feelings of their time with the military, they also very much miss the um, relationships. They miss the, the, the brothers and sisters. Like you see a lot of people who get out of the military, but stay friends with the people they served with because it becomes like a fraternity. Um, and so if they can stay in cooperation with them, then they will almost at all costs. They'll get a job at the same place together or they'll move to neighborhoods that are nearby to maintain that togetherness. So even though they didn't like the reason that they were together, they liked the togetherness. Yeah, um, the camaraderie is real. Correct. And, yeah. you know, and trauma bonding is real. So, yeah, absolutely. And as far as the euphoria part that you, you mentioned, um, we see in Picard season two, as Agnes is becoming the new queen, that what Seven describes is the fact of euphoria. The increased endorphins helps the queen prevail and come alive more inside of her. So I, I think that that kind of adds to the this bondedness creates a, a level of um, serotonin. Well, actually, that goes into what I was going to say, because I was going to mention uh, Seven in Picard. And I was pretty sure that in season one, just before she makes kind of a she makes like a mini collective, like mm -hmm. a, a little privatized organization, uh, <laughs> so to speak. And um, and she talks about kind of how she misses it, which is like kind of wild thinking about Seven's journey from Voyager all the way up until this uh, this series and how she has become an individual, but, you know, she kind of confesses that she misses the collective, and, mm -hmm. like, once you experience it, I don't know, it's it's something that you kind of want back, you know, she doesn't really want it back, but just as you were talking about veterans, you know, they wouldn't want to go back into the service, mm -hmm. uh, but, but they do, there is an aspect that is, 
that you long for once you're separated. Mm-hmm. It's very interesting. Comparing ex-Borg to veterans is maybe the greatest condemnation of the military industrial complex I could think of. People only <laughs> love their t- or love the memories or have nostalgia about their experiences in the armed services or and have these relationships because it was so indoctrinating and cultish and insidious on a psychological and emotional level it's like that's 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 dark and i love it i think the book represents that mindset perfectly as i mm-hmm. most people who interact in course beside the leaders or the the inner circle do not want to hurt other people, but they are such in that mindset of this is the best way to live, this is the right way to live, this is what gives me euphoria that I'm going to drag others in. I have to, I have to um, apostolize other people. So I think for me, like Seven and Her Story is very ex-court, ex-religious commentary in some ways. And I think that's why I get back to the book on not evil, because there's so many permutations of people Mm -hmm. who have been hurt that you cannot blame the individual for causing the harm. Very much. And Mm -hmm. even the queen, like, the question is, even if she has more control, she has control over the drones, but does she really have control beyond the book collective? But I don't really she had I don't really think she has any more agency than the rest of them. She just has more power, kind of like the queen bee in a way. That's her designation. And it's not so much she's above others, but she has certain uh, rights and privileges. I think okay. you're giving the board queen too much, too much leeway there. I think she's pretty, <laughs> she's she's pretty autonomous. Like especially in Voyager, she like the, when when she was sort of trying to ferret out the um, the Unimatrix Zero, yeah. and she was just like blowing up entire ships. Like, she's like, oh, I just killed 10,000. What are you going to do about it? You know, like, there's uh, there's intent, I, I guess, is the word. Like, she I, I she's totally making agree. choices. Yeah. But I don't know her origins, the original Bone Queen origins. So she could have been a drill. I, I guess with uh, Agnes, we see that it's the queen to queen. But mm-hmm. uh, 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 if we see how much pain Agnes went through, right? Can yeah. we blame the the original queen for trauma that was inflicted upon her? I mean, that is an excuse to write to hurt others, but I just think it's a complicated issue that she doesn't even have full control of. I think I think it was um it was agonizing for Agnes because she had the kindness in her heart that she didn't want to become this thing. And that she was so averse to the idea of the queen having access to her mind and her body. The original board queens had nefarious intent, like through and through. 
but that maybe that's just me. I don't know. I, I've always I've always viewed her as like the ultimate villain, no, I, like the I, sociopathic yeah. villain. I totally agree. Like one of the notes that I took for um, Scorpion, which I think specifically relates to the Queen, is their I said their goal to consume is stronger than their goal to survive, which is why she was so so absolutely unhinged in the destruction of all of those ships because she she needed them to be subservient more than she needed to care about any one drone. Um, the life of even one drone is not important because they know they can make more. So the queen, she's like, I will burn this shit to the ground before I let any one of them feel that in- individuality because I don't want them to feel at all. They need to be unrelentingly subservient to to my command. And I can't have that if they know, if they have even a moment of solace, you know? Um, Let me see here. I had another note. Um, It was in Unimatrix because when her and I had posted about this, when her and Janeway are talking, when she has Janeway after they've been assimilated, um, and Janeway says to her, why haven't you gone to Unimatrix? She's only sent drones. Do you fear that individuality is worth saving? And we see that in almost every case, when a drone gets disconnected from the collective, that it absolutely is. We see it in Hugh in iBorg where they he's disconnected accidentally. Their ship crashes or whatever. And then they they formally disconnect him. They, he learns he has an identity. They give him the name Hugh. And this <laughs> I said I was crying when I watched this episode last week because every time he I, identifies the later half of that episode as I instead of we that as Captain Picard says energized, he said, I don't want to forget that I'm Hugh. And we know in the sense, it absolutely leads to destruction. Unfortunately, as they've been disconnected because of Hugh's sense of individuality on his ship, that they get taken over by lore. But we see it with Seven. We see that after a, a while, and she says to Naomi, um, are you, do you want to go back? And she says, I don't believe that I do. Because of course, up until a lot, she's kind of waffling, which we've already talked about that sense of togetherness, that she's like, I, I was there and I didn't feel trauma while I was with them. But as I was a child and being assimilated and since I've been disconnected, she's kind of lost her way. And she's finally found a new collective with the Voyager crew. So Iborg was, I think, a fantastic choice because um, it, it was fascinating to watch. It happens after Picard's trauma, after becoming Locutus, uh, which is problematic for him and part of his character the entire time. And it's an episode where their plan is to genocide the Borg. Like, that's their strategy. And you kind of get it. And you see Picard going from, like, Picard, Jean-Luc Picard, like, the prince of morality. He's like, no, we're going to upload a virus and just kill all of these people, like 100%, which is strange because Janeway kind of does that. and But he grows to connect with Hugh and they grow to change their mind and have this like mm-hmm. really moral conversation through that, throughout that episode. 
it's I, I kind of cry at that one too. That's a really that's a really powerful episode. And I think a very interesting one to see that change, to see Picard responding in this very uh, from a place of trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, using Hugh as a weapon. They revisited that idea with Icheb, and I really, I really like that they continued to use that because that is how you, I mean, that's how you, when you have an insect infestation, you know, you just poison a bunch of them and they bring it back to the queen, right? Like that's, that's how you do that. And I, and I really like how they continue to to use that um, strategy over time because it, it is a logical strategy. Yeah, and Iborg, I think it's it's really interesting, uh, and I think kind of throws a, a a light on the issues of consent and agency with the Borg. Like, because I feel like the core the core issue is consent and coercion, right? And Picard is so acutely aware of how he was coerced, and there was no consent, and it was a deep violation, you know, a deeply existential kind of violation, and he avoids meeting Hugh until the last minute like he won't and like he won't go until the last minute and it's like because he keeps getting these reports and he doesn't want to face up to I think himself like looking at Hugh and and seeing himself again as as this drone or as this Borg who was assimilated and consumed uh, and, and he doesn't want to see that replicated because it prevents him from seeing the Borg as all insects. And it's like, yeah, this is this is how you kill insects. Kara's totally right. But then there is this question of actually like all of these insects have souls. I think that's kind of what it comes down to. If like all these insects have souls and and they're being they're being controlled by this consciousness that is the queen. Mm-hmm. Um and if I can just briefly throw back to the queen because I want to mm-hmm. I want to put out this one thing yeah. that I've been obsessed with for the long time for a long time which is like any good cult leader the Borg queen is a narcissist and and she's just like such a really great manifestation of feminine narcissism and obviously gender is a social construct but so is narcissism so we 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 can examine about how the patriarchy treats people differently and then how that how those various uh disorders uh, narcissistic personality disorder varies. And so it's like, you know, whereas like male narcissists, you know, it can be very much about domination. Uh, for, for the feminine narcissist, it's a lot of it is about love and togetherness. And so like the Borg Queen's obsession with perfection is like the vanity of the feminine narcissist, the like the the total possession of the drones and having them be hooked mm-hmm. up to her consciousness is the feminine narcissist's uh, possession of her children, of the her mm-hmm. children are an affliction, like avatars almost and, and yeah. extensions of her self image and uh, her personal image and outer image. And so she's also like desperately lonely and desperately yeah. insecure and uh, wants also a partner in Picard or Data. And she starts trying to make mm-hmm. Data more human in order to yeah. own this man. So she needs to have this, yeah. this, she needs to have this prince or this consort who's obsessed with her and completely devoted to her. And that's why she needs Picard to consent. And right. so... So that's why I'm just very into this idea of the vo- as of the Borg as this kind of allegory for feminine narcissism. No one call me a misogynist. 
This is me being ultimate feminist right now. Borg. Feminine narcissism. Hell hath no fury. Fact. That's a big fact right there. I just want to slow clap that. Um, back to cult leaders, also the Borg queen, as someone who has some experience with, I don't know, cult's kind of a strong word. She's not above using sexuality, too. Like, you know, cult leaders, you know, they're all about sex with whatever, so. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think yeah, it's applicable. So, so like, to, to uh, on the flip side of Stephanie, I I guess I'm defending the book queen. She's still evil. She still has crimes to pay for. But I guess as another analogy, she's still enslaved to the hive mind even if she has the loudest voice in it. So I, I view her in many ways, I guess, too, as the leader of a drug ring. Like, she may boss around people, you know, buying drugs illegally, but she's still enslaved to those drugs. She's still addicted to those drugs. So I, I think she can uh, be both a villain and be sympathize with her she can still be a victim in her own way um circling back to the the insect analogy and killing the bug and uh i bug and then uh what's the other one with the e-trap i again i i from the moment they brought that up i'm like you cannot do that that is genocide because mm. even if you um disconnecting the bugs from the high mind mm-hmm. you, you there's still people under there so it's it's I totally you, agree. you you can you can i i just always saw it as wrong like i i hated i hated everyone except beverly later during <laughs> in that episode it was just I, I didn't know how it was a good idea and it just goes against the Federation as well. It's the they kind of went uh throughout the yeah. series. They changed from hating the god to the bug and there's very similar terminology used for yeah. the both of them. And I think with the uh, changing words now that we see like the breeding um process of the god there's kind of similarities to the book uh, but I find that through line pretty interesting but yeah book queen all the way yeah I think you're right as soon as you understand that they can be rehabilitated you can't just murder them all like once Correct. once they have uh, a chance at becoming themselves again it's you're you're no longer uh, valid in in the idea of just murdering everybody I mean, you kind of see that, too, like, specifically, and I made notes, because the dialogue in Iborg is clutch. Like, it's such fantastic language that they use. Um, Beverly says in the, the roundtable meeting, she said, I don't see a collective consciousness. I don't see a hive. I see a living, breathing boy who has been hurt and needs our help. And we're talking about sending him back to his people as an instrument of destruction. And later, after Picard finally makes himself meet Hugh, and Hugh refers to himself by name and says Jordy is his friend, that he doesn't want to go back. He doesn't want to hurt anyone on the ship because he now relates to them. He says to use him in this way, we would be no better 
than the enemy that we seek to destroy. And we've mentioned it a couple of times, but this is exactly what Echeb's parents did, is they said, we, we unfortunately, we, we can't value your one life because the, the us matters more. We have to, to survive. And they genetically augmented him to be that virus. It's in various forms throughout the franchise with Echeb, at the end with um, older Janeway when she comes back in time. But that is, it's, it's, it almost, I think, it's saying, oh, this is very tactile. But it also shows that in desperation, we're all capable of, of great devastation. We can all do things that we never thought we could. And we know just by characterization alone that Picard, he's a very caring person, but you can tell having been assimilated, he was operating out of fear. I can never let this happen again. It doesn't matter how far I have to go. No holds barred. We have to shut them down. And if it means killing all of them by implanting this virus, then we have to do it. Oh my gosh, I love that. Chills. Oh, well said. And I love that Picard comes around. Like, that's why that episode is so good, because you know, like, if you've watched it, you've seen Picard's trauma, you've seen what he's done. Like, that episode in Deep Space, or the pilot episode for Deep Space Nine, where he's there, and you see it in Patrick Stewart's amazing acting when Cisco's like, yeah, my wife died on the ship. F you, buddy. And you can see his avoidance there, just like you do in I, Borg. But he's willing to grow and take this moment to meet Hugh and go to this dark place he clearly doesn't want to go to, and in the end, doesn't do it. Like that's that's Starfleet right there, changing and growing. If I could just briefly throw it back to what Lily was saying, defending the Borg Queen as uh, one of her critics. Borg Queen, I feel like what you said about like her being sympathetic is absolutely true and is proven out in season two of Picard when she and Agnes form a consensual collective. Or the idea is like we're both super lonely. We're both people who have a really hard time connecting interpersonally in a in a in an independent individualist kind of society, uh, and and we seem to really work for this collective thing. So like, let's do it together. Let's team up together, and let's go find people who don't have an alternative and who want to be part of this collective, a consensual collective. So they're going out, people are about to die. Here, I'll turn you into a Borg. She's like the Carlisle Cullen of Borg. Just like only vampires, you have to be about to die. So, you know, I just, I feel like that there is an argument for that. The fact that she takes that deal with Agnes really shows yeah. that, yeah, she does, she has a soul. Like, she's a fucking sure. narcissist. Like, she's a narcissist and a monster and a mass murderer and a, you know, violent, uh, invasive individual. But she has a soul and she's vulnerable and feels pain and loneliness and alienation and lo- and longing. And I think we can mm-hmm. all kind of sympathize with those feelings because those feelings, they can make us possessive and jealous. Like, I feel like the Borg Queen is very jealous. And I think okay. that's... I think those feelings are things that we can sympathize with, even if we aren't narcissists. That can make us break out into musical numbers for no reason. <laughs> for example. Facts. Yes. Facts. Of watching season two of Picard, my first instinct was, oh, that sounds lovely. You know, that they're going to be like a consensual collective, right? But that is when it 
clicked for me that that it sounds like a cult because they are going for the vulnerable the i have no options left the you know that's that's basically who they said they were going to go and collect and is that consensual at that point like if you're if you're down and out if you are losing if you have no no real options other than to say yes i will join that's not real consent and and then i wonder is the assimilation process the same in this new version of the Borg? Because mm -hmm. if it is, I mean, we watched Seven really struggle. It, it, it's almost like drug withdrawal when they have to leave. So it feels very cultish to be like collecting all of these people who have no options and then to leave them in a state where they cannot leave if they want to. So unless the assimilation process is a little different and it is easier to walk away, I still don't quite think the Borg is as consensual as we'd like to hope in okay. season I think you two can, though. I, I mean, the fact that the Borg Queen in season two of Picard saved Seven, who was, you know, who was uh, mortally wounded, saved her, but didn't assimilate her. So it's, you can conceivably leave. Like, you, but you get assimilated, they fix your body, with Borg implants, and then you could leave. Like, we saw that happen with Seven. And, it, you know, and considering the way Agnes behaved at the end of the episode about, like, you know, we're the watcher on the wall, whatever, like, and her whole deal with the Queen was about it being consensual, I bet people have left. Like, it, it, people can't. I mean, that was the, the idea with, I thought that's what saving Seven proved. Well, I think mentally it's a sound idea, but physically Seven almost died from trying to get the implants and all of that stuff out of her. Like there were a number of times where where her life was in danger, her health was in danger because of what the assimilation process did to her body. So unless that stuff has changed. I mean, no. the second assimilation, like when the queen fixed her, healed her in season two of Picard, it was basically just a drive-by healing. Like she wasn't even right. really assimilated into the consciousness and she right. didn't have any recovery time. I mean, it was just a trick in order to get her, imp you know, a TV trick basically to yeah. give her right. her implants and her arm thing back. But th they made that canon to be like, I could just install some, some Borg, uh, I guess, accessibility devices or, you know, the augmentations like what uh, uh, Detmer has in Discovery mm -hmm. and stuff, you know, so like that. And so, I mean, we have very little data to go on, though. We only right. have we only have uh, uh, ag Borgs or Borgnesses word for it. Right. But I mean, we've I, watched we've watched the withdrawal from. Yes from being in the collective, both from the, the Borg Queen, who was like, you know, all, all the voices are quiet and like how hard it is to to exist without that hive mind once you've been in it. And mm -hmm. also, you know, watching Seven for a long time being really uncomfortable because she'd spent her whole, you know, most of her life as Borg. So like it is a true withdrawal situation. So like I said, if, if 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 the rest of it, even if once you say yes, I would like to join the Borg, you know, we watched the the Borg Queen in season two assimilate the um the mercenaries. Yes. Um, and it didn't seem like they were they were capable of of like. So you here's know, my thing. 
I don't mean to cut you off. I, I, I want to kind no, of give this. I, I understand what you're saying. So just to clarify, she didn't turn into the good queen or what we're calling the good queen until after that. So oh, sure. saving seven was, I think, the beginning of her kind of transition. That was mostly Agnes. I think it has a lot to do with the state of mind and the length of time it took for her to become the queen. Because we saw after she shoots her and then she takes um, her nail tubules or whatever we're calling those and, and, and basically implants herself in Agnes. And then the, over the rest of the season, we see Agnes struggle. And essentially she's talking the queen down quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and as they're becoming a merged being, a lot of Agnes survived. And so as she was about to kill Seven, Agnes is like, I know that this is not who you are. I have all of the knowledge of who you were before this point. And every motivation you had was belonging. You wanted more because you never had enough. So as she tries to transition her, and I think once we once we see her on the bridge of the Stargazer at the end, there's a lot of Agnes left. And I very much understand what you're saying about Seven's, um, essentially what I'll call an, a, an ongoing or pre-existing condition. She survived only because she had consistent medical care to make mm-hmm. sure that whatever piece of technology that decided it was going to say, I I can't exist here anymore, didn't end up killing her. And because there seemed to be so much left of Agnes at the end, um, I can assume based based on that alone, that maybe the assimilation isn't so invasive. If that makes sense. That's what I was referring to was yeah. the technological assim- like like the technological yeah. aspect of the assimilation where she touches the face and then like, you know, their face goes blank. And then it, mm-hmm. it, so it still felt like they were becoming mindless drones, you know. Yeah. yeah. So even even if it's even if it turns into a consensual act, becoming a drone, if it's still the same thing is still not. So can I can I go back to being able to leave the Borg and Ray you guys someone correct me if I'm wrong the Borg build in safes against that right like there's an episode where seven of nine something goes wrong and it's just it sounds like it's the one where Jerry Ryan does a great job she's a Ferengi and she's a little girl and she goes through all these characters of all these voices that are still in her head and if I remember it's been a long time if I remember that episode the doctor mm-hmm. on Voyager discovers it's because the Borg built it that way, so you no. can't leave the Borg. That was a malfunction because that was that was the episode oh, where right. they um, that was the episode where they um, found the vinculum that had been poisoned by that other species. So because ah, her receptors right. were connecting to the vinculum, it destabilized her ability. Essentially, all of the collective that was in her disintegrated and no longer had yeah, that cognitive wow. barrier wow. so it was the vinculum that did it it wasn't but you but you're but it yes you are correct no no no, no. it was the board 
it was the Borg, just not that episode. Because at the end, when she's doing the experiments on the holodeck where she's falling in love with the hologram Chakotay, oh, that yeah. is the part. Is because it said you've capped out your pleasure map. You can't go any further than this, and it oh. starts to kill her. And the doctor finds her and says, okay, we thought okay. that something was going wrong, but this is how it was designed. Now that, I, I definitely think based on the 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 Picard season, that they're not doing that anymore. Because that would go mm. against the whole principle of them being mindless automatons. She, the goal, I think, of the new queen is not to make them mindless automatons, though it is to make them a collective, if that makes sense. Morgan, okay. I wanted okay. to highlight, because you you wanted to say something. Oh, uh, I mean, I had a few things a few points back. I think uh, I think my first thing that I was going to say is that even if the board does seem a little cultish in its new form, the 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 Church of Agnes is still much better of a situation. And I um, I don't know. I guess I, I'm just excited to see what will happen. In the next season, I hope we see more Borg because we have a lot of questions. We've been we've been mm-hmm. wondering what's the assimilation process, and and when you asked that, Kara, I um, thought about the scene of of Picard being assimilated, and they zoom in on his face, and he's got like a single tear as he's like yes. you know fighting it, and you just know it's just got to be so painful, and mm-hmm. um, I, I am just very curious to see a. I don't know, like Agnes beam down to a planet and be like, you guys look like you're in a rough spot. You know, let's let, 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 take a brochure. Like, I, I don't know what it's like, <laughs> but I, I want to I see what it's like. Dress I don't know got pamphlets. That is so whatever. good. There's there's episodes but, uh, where where you get to see like the assimilation chambers and they're just yeah. straight up torture chambers. Like, wow. Yeah, sure. <laughs> And then, um, and then I thought it was interesting, and this was like going way back to what Stephanie was saying about um, just like a, a, a feminine leader of a uh, of a cult or or whatever. Um, I thought it was really interesting when Janeway was on the board ship, and they were about to kind of give her a mini assimilation, and she's like, "No, just make a spokesperson. Give give you you had this with Locutus. Give me someone to talk to." and they were like surrounded by men drones and the board was like, all right, her over there. And I thought that was like really, uh, you know, and and I want to, I don't want to talk about how they were probably just trying to introduce, you know, a new cute blonde since they were going to get rid of Kess, but (laughs) you know, in the actual story of the situation, it was very interesting that the board would say, all right, this is our designated leader. And Seven is like kind of sassy, like right off the bat. It's not just a, I am a robot here to tell you what's going on. She's just like, she has a lot of attitude, you know, as she's going back and forth with Janeway about like, you know, upholding the Alliance and like, well, we need you or we could just assimilate you right now. All right, go ahead and do it. All right, we don't need to do that. You know, it's, it's very like, there's already a lot of personality um, like right off the jump, which I just found is interesting for a, a uh, member of the Borg. Yeah, she absolutely establishes superiority like right off the bat. I I will say I don't think it's so much sass as just being 
blunt and straightforward. She just says everything she means, everything that comes to mind. That's how I interpret it as. Um, no kind of no filter, and that's why I prefer the interpretation that the book are incredibly honest, and that I feel like any deception plot is kind of undermines them as a villain or as a um, compelling villain I should say. Well Seven actively says in season two of the card that um, that they employ deception. Mm -hmm. She says that that's like their backup plan when when strength doesn't work. But uh, but I at the same time I'm like I, I don't like that aspect. I feel like that they use that Voyager uh, from Voyager and onward, and not something that was part of TNG. I just think their story would be more interesting, more compelling if they didn't rely on deceit, which would paint them as villains automatically instead of people who do not know how to communicate that they want to get to know other species and just choose this brutal way to go about it. I don't know. I feel like the way you talk about it is the way that, like, I originally viewed it. And I always sort of, you know, Star Trek has a weird way of making allegories to things like like autistic people and, um, you know, with Vulcans and, and Borg. I feel like the like seven sort of was the allegory for for Voyager and I related to her so much as a young person who was also just trying to figure out what humans are like because like that was my entire childhood was just like watching people and trying to figure out what they do (laughs) so um but I but I don't like that you know as an adult watching that I don't like that the that the allegory is always an alien or a villain or like it, it it just bothers me so I try and separate it um and and I don't give that excuse for and, and that that's probably just my own personal issues with with the choices that they make in those regards but you know when you yeah, when definitely. you just when you just like chalk it up to like a lack of communication skills like no they were pretty awful <laughs> I, I never made that conflation I know what you mean I have seen people make that I don't know what the word is make that determination that that I think is what that means I think it's more because autism is a very individualized thing and we do have specific characters who I believe are coded that way but in organizations one an organization of people with one focus I I don't know how that can be and how sometimes people think about that. I know individual characters are built that way. Yeah, it's not the Borg as a collective. It's Seven of Nine in particular because you get to watch her specifically. She's she's like literally taking classes from the doctor on how to be a social individual. And like that aspect of Seven of Nine was um, is probably why she was my favorite character in the later Mm -hmm. seasons of Voyager. Because I really identified with that. And and I, you know, I like that they have those types of characters for us to hold on to. And it was, you know, it's like Data and Spock. And they always have one character who doesn't quite get how humanity and so society works. I think Odo probably falls in that category, too. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the seven is much more a commentary on trauma. Um, mm-hmm. But go, going back to the book as being brutally honest, I think my point was to juxtapose it again with the Federation, which is also an institution that assimilates through a more or less manipulation, whether that be mutual defense, whether that be, uh, you can say whether well, cause is good, but it's it's still a, a institution that wants people to adopt a similar narrative. So I, I think that's that's why I'm so pressed of them not keeping that straightforward aspect of the book is I would appreciate that that juxtaposition that that foil to the federation yeah there's um, that speech I, in strange new worlds um that pike makes it's the episode where they have oh, the, the, um, the bingo yeah yeah um and he and he says at the end he's like i don't know why you would join us because we're going to water down your culture we're going to bring you into the fold and like he's right I and mean, you're you're right lily like I'm the federation like, does the same thing apologists because yeah. at its basest mentality, the goal of the Federation, yes, is to bring new cultures and civilizations into the fold. But I almost extraordinarily, like, it makes me puff my chest a little bit because I don't think that they're doing it out of malice. I think as our own kind of nation's goal to be a melting pot to be a place where everyone can be and everyone can be themselves I think is the goal of the the federation that they they seek out new worlds that have people that say okay well we like how you do things we see that you do things different than us and we want to incorporate that into our federation we want to say you we want uh, we want to build a relationship with you. Is we not even rem- your skills. We we want, but, but <laughs> I think that this is not it's not assimilate. I don't love the use of that term. It's not it's not assimilate because you see all of these people existing separately. Like to Paul always meditated, and there was other cultures who had other um, religious habits. I mean, it was not extremely talked about, but there were people who had different cultures. And we see that very much on Deep Space Nine, that all of these cultures are living together and mostly doing it very well. It's not the same thing as we're going to strip you of everything that you are. We're going to take it and add it to our own and make you everything like we are. You don't get to be you anymore. It's two very different things. So conflating them feels weird. It's like if you take any organization, like it's like people who always say like jobs are a pyramid. Like, of course they are because someone is always at the top. But that doesn't make mean that we're the board. You know what I mean? It sure. doesn't mean that we have a queen. So it's not the same. But there is have the conversation without uh, and still acknowledge that they're vastly different. But acknowledging that the Federation does have unsavory parts in it and does water down cultures and does assimilate. I think that that those that conversation can be had, but we can still look up to the Federation. But I think it's 
not naive. I'm not calling you naive, acting captain, but I just I, think I, incorporation I, 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 is I think, not the same as dilution. That's me. Well, personally. okay, but but Ray, they do sort of require a bit of, you know, a give and take assimilation no they do like like think about when you know when picard was telling Rose she had to take her earring off like there there mm-hmm. is very specific examples of if you want to be in the federation you have to leave a little bit of your culture behind and and it does happen we we have seen it and, it, and it's not it's clearly not as dramatic as the borg but it does it is there i just want to say this whole conversation kind of reminds me of any political debate that's going on like we sound like the the alpha quadrants version of like cnn or something because it it just sounds like the (laughs) argument of both sides and i like i hate the phrase both sides and it's very much a i mean they're both trying to collect people into their group so i mean there's assimilation on both on both sides and um and yeah, like I see how the argument can be made, but yeah, I'm I'm with Ray on this one where where we have like a group that has the prime directive and oh they don't have warp yet, so we gotta like back off and like okay, time to make first contact and all of these diplomatic ways of of invitation and acceptance and and when the other group is we are the Borg, resistance is futile and I love every scene where where someone will be like, "Can we talk about this? Talking is irrelevant. Like, we're we're ta- we're coming to take your shit. Like, just you know, yeah, and yeah, just like Ray said, yeah. When you boil it down, when you take away every little layer, yes, it gets down to yeah. Both groups are trying to get people, and it's, but it yeah. There there's a lot more, a lot more to that is what I'm thinking. You all are stealing my content for the episode I want to do of the Federation as an Empire. And just to be clear, I'm also on Ray, but but Kara, that that ring thing got to me a little bit. Just to be clear, so I'm mostly on Ray's side, but I I, I will say the other, but he recognizes individuality and he lets her put it back on. And you see her the rest of her couple of episodes that she has wearing her earring. So yes, as a unilateral decision based on the Federation, while you're on duty, because the rule is not that you can't wear your earring, it's your uniform doesn't include uh, ethics like that. But she could still wear it, but he says it is part of you and I appreciate that and he lets her put it back on. The board would never have made that decision. They still would have stripped her of everything she was and there's no earring to be had. We're going to put an eye ocular in. We're going to put... You're, it, it, you're, <laughs> you're 100% right, 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 Ray. I'm, I'm just saying... Ray I'm side. Just level saying. Level. As a director, right. I feel that. Like I've got, I've got kids who have to wear the uniform on Friday nights at football games and they got to fix their hair a certain way. It's just, It's just how it is. Sure, but would you ask? Would you make someone take their yarmulke off or something? Like it's it's a religious situation. Like I don't know. And he, uh, Picard, also, uh, Worf I, is wearing his sash the entire time. 
Like so, That's Klingons true. can wear their Klingon shit over their uniforms, but he, you're 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 gonna draw the line on the on the Bajoran earring. Like that that is one of those things where I think is a metatextual issue For because sure. they wanted to have the dramatic mo- moment at the end of Ro mm-hmm. putting the earring on because that is her accepting her cu- culture. So that was like a narrative choice, but that. But this is one of the things with Star Trek where they make narrative choices that have political consequences. And one of the things that I wanted to throw out there, uh, basically kind of to Lily's point about assimilation and and but the way that the Federation kind of twists it is the surveillance that they conduct on uh, like pre-contact worlds where they have like where they have anthropologists. I call them ethnographers. They're on site uh, in alien face. Or behind she, yeah. you know, uh, uh, you know, they're shielded places, and they're they're observing and they're surveilling a culture. It's super invasive. No wonder that one culture with the like weird hands, where they're like, get out, like don't actually reveal yourselves. We can't handle it. And it's like, of course you can't, because they've been camping out on your planet in secret, watching you guys. I don't know, do whatever you do. That's weird and creepy. I, I know what you mean because it it is kind of. You you have some, you don't go too far because we want to see what you're like, but we don't want to affect you. And <laughs> there's um, a quote in Jurassic Park, I think it's like the second or third one, where they say at some point observation becomes integration because at some point you you can't you can't objectively observe without actually becoming part of the environment. I think the differences half of us is looking at it politically, that being uh, Ray, Morgan, and Jake, and the other half is looking at it through text analysis. If this was real life and this was the Borg versus the U.S., the comparison is non sequitur. There's no comparison. But because it's in a show that has similar language for these two things, then the comparison can stand. It's it's analyzing the text instead of analyzing the principles itself. And I think that's the difference and where where most of the disagreement is, whether we should analyze this as um, as real life politics or whether we should analyze it within the show, what, what the writers are giving us, if that makes sense. I, and I, I will say, I think the point is that, for me, of Star Trek is that, they, that it's, it's, it's hard to have two separate conversations. Like, that is the point of Star Trek, is that the conversation within the show in the franchise is so that we can have the real world portion of that conversation we also have to remember that the like that the federation is actually good like it's one of those things where i'd be like okay Mm -hmm. the federation is also better than i'm aware of because i you know obviously only have so much information but i was thinking back to what we were saying about like the conditions for joining the federation the conditions include things like you can't have a caste system you know, mm-hmm. basically, you can't be part of the f- Federation if there is systemic oppression, if there are classes, if there's, you know, if mm-hmm. there's economic uh, inequality. You know, you basically, as a planet, you have to be on your shit 
and share our values. And so it's like, it's one of those things where you, you kind of have to then ask yourself, okay, am I going to be trying to coming at, come at this from like, uh, like a moral neutrality, or am I going to just embrace the moral philosophy of the Federation? And I kind of do. So, so I mean, not kind of, I do. I'm a Starfleet officer. I love this shit. And so at right. the end of the day, it's sort of being like these, you know, we have this this core moral philosophy of what is good and what is uh, righteous. And if you want to be in our party, you have to share those values of goodness and righteousness. And the Borg, at best, are morally neutral, which is often, as, as we've seen, functionally cruel. For sure. And I think... I think that that's the the biggest part about the Picard season two for me. Um, I, I think we absolutely need to have a discussion about that season as a whole. But the board portions of this season, I think, were the strongest. And it does kind of transition the Borg from being this utilitarian, we don't care, we're taking everything, to at least recognizing that these are people and it kind of goes in a direction that says yes more like the federation if i can continue with your comparison it does say we know that you are you we still want to give you a place to be you can come with us you know what i mean we don't really have a full fleshing of that storyline and direction for the board but i believe based on that last two episodes the discussion that Agnes has with the Borg that they Raffi has with the Queen in Agnes is saying we we know that you can be better and we've seen the utilization of Borg technology in a positive way they've retrofitted multiple ships the fleet itself in this season is retrofitted with Borg technology it can be used positively we've seen it multiple times save Neelix's life save the prisoners' lives in the episode where that they had that genetic modification or genetic defect that made them have no compunction. You remember the episode I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, where once they used the nanoprobes to fix him, he started to have compassion and empathy and remorse for the crimes that he's committed. Like, the technology of the Borg is not the issue, I don't think. It was the utilization of it and the mindset behind it and how it was being used as a weapon through the quadrant. Now with Borgness being positive and having created what we're hoping to be a good collective, that there could be a positive influence now, especially with the um, the temporary um, partnership with, with the Federation. I think one uh, one thing that I try to keep in mind is sort of like the bo- the Borg are kind of out after the melting pot, right? Everything melts down into one thing, whereas the Federation is a salad and that Ooh. everyone's a, okay. kind of a part of it, but they've all maintained their own integrity, right? Like everybody who's from their own culture knows a ton about their own culture, right? Like Worf knows so much about Klingon culture, Spock, everybody, everybody's super immersed and well-informed. And then you hear like human characters referencing fucking obscure, like earth literature. And it's being like, this is the 24th century. Like, are you really reading this obscure ass shit? Like it, it, it's just one of these things where it's like everyone has really fully embraced 
who they are. They're they're the broccoli. They're the carrots. They're really they're whole. I love this. Uh, it's pronounced Barclay. <laughs> hey, uh, neurodivergent representation. Who is a fucking human? Right? Don't get me started on him. He's a pervert. First of all, no of thank course. you to Barclay. I mean, I'm a pervert, so <laughs> like appreciates like I'm a total Barclay, you guys. Except I'm like more charismatic a little bit. I'm Barkley as he envisions himself in the holodeck. Oh my gosh, I love that. I, I want to watch that episode. <laughs> Stephanie as Barkley as he envisions himself in the holodeck. I'm there. I'm like, team, like in I'm Voyager? team Barkley. But yeah, yeah. Okay. Stephanie and, and Kara, like maybe you guys should do an away mission. And because and, look, I'm team Barkley, but I'll, I'll watch all of you get out. I'm just oh, saying, yeah. I'll Let's, watch I want to fight with someone about Barkley because I'm always talking to people who are like, oh, that guy, he's cringe. But then they're like, like whatever. No, no, no. I you never encounter anyone who has like, a passionate feeling. I am I'm, so anti Barkley. I'm so. Okay, well, this is passionately like, anti Barkley. We, we can't. We're, <laughs> off, we're <laughs> off topic. No, no, no. I know. I'm saying this is DB. Like, we can cut this out. But, Last like, point. we, we got to see this conversation. Okay, back yeah. to the first. Okay. Can I throw out one thing? This is like a total segue, but it's something that I've been thinking about for a long time and things that Lily's been say, saying about the, the the increasing use of deception by the Borg. Um, I was thinking of that too, as I was like kind of looking at their trajectory of like, they're not really interested in people, they're interested in technology and then they meet humanity and they get really interested in the enterprise and then interested in humanity and then they arrive and then they assimilate a bunch of humans, including Captain Picard, and they start using deception. And so I had like in the band, I like posted a bunch of essay titles and one of them was coll- uh, corrupting the collective, yeah. the, the, the fallacy of, of human exceptionalism. So it's this idea like that human exceptionalism like allows the humans in Star Trek to do all sorts of stuff. We're so special. We're so gregarious and 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 passionate and individual and like humans are special and and, and I feel like you could make an argument that the the infusion of humanity into the Borg makes the Borg worse because they start being much more deceptive. They're very destructive and they're assimilating a lot more people rather than just technology. So I think there is an argument to be said. Yeah, sure. that pe- that people make. The, the Borg worse like the 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 assimilation of our uh you know cultural uniqueness like that introduction to it I mean you can make arguments against it because obviously 709 was abducted and assimilated way before but she was one human and a, and a child so it's yeah. like not you know so it's just a thing that I think about every now and again it being like would the would the Borg have continued to be so so honest and so transparent and direct like how seven is and how she behaves um and you know she was assimilated before the whole human thing so she's got Mm -hmm. she doesn't have a lot of these deceptive and um discreet or or delicate qualities you know where you where you use like she doesn't get euphemisms or she doesn't get how to be like gentle or like you know letting someone down gently or like she doesn't get all that stuff that is so like culturally human that it's kind of like you know corrupting the collective i want to hear what lily thinks about that because i feel like that like what you've been saying about the their their deception oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) hell yeah hell yeah i just wanted to mention the board kind of change like it's kind of a i if i remember having a board queen was a controversy 
because in like up until like first contact the borg were kind of this one collective and then mm -hmm. first contact they make a real so i feel like that's the thing with uh i think lily you've made so many good points the difference is there's kind of like a post and pre first contact borg that's a little from a writer inconsistent um, and I like kind of dealing with that and living in that messy world. But a Borg with a queen in first contact, to me, feels something quite different than what we see in Q Who or in, you know, Wolf 359 or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I think if we think of it as like a continuity, like there was almost up until that that meeting, there was never really a necessity for us to know there was a queen. And so in Picard, when they it's the first episode in the Confederation and they go down and they see Agnes and they've got the queen there ready to slaughter, basically. And she's fritzing because at that point, Seven um, says the queen, the plural, have a, a connection that basically gives them sync through all temporal space and time they they all exist when needed essentially and i think someone had commented this on like my live i did where basically the queen is an avatar but she's a sentient avatar with individuality and purpose like she gives the board direction when they don't have it and so at that point they were kind of like we need someone to figure this out we're trapped in the past We've lost our ship. They they transported some drones to the Enterprise D and First Contact, but we need someone to make sense of this mess. They call in a queen. The queen doesn't have an actual form. She's made out of nothingness, basically. She comes out of the ceiling, they put her together with pieces, and she's there to kind of micromanage. You know what I mean? So I think when we see... In, the, in, in Picard, when this queen has been essentially disconnected from her network, she has no connection now. She's just in storage that at that point you see her purpose and intention be to seek sense, which is Annika. Okay. She, that's the first thing that she yeah. says in Fritting is Hanson Annika assimilated 2370 she says or i think it was like 2350 something like that she says the first thing because that's her first, that's her immediate connection to the board is annika even in this space time when seven is not assimilated she still recognizes that in another time she was so i think that that's why up until first contact it was not necessary for us to know not that she wasn't always there I love this. I am I right or wrong in saying that kind of makes Locutus make more sense, at least to me. Right. That you have these kind of individual things to go back to like that ultimate user. The Borg Queen is a tool the collective is using when they need it. She's a yeah. project manager. When you said micromanaging, that immediately put project managers because I'm a project manager. I make projects happen. I tell people what to do. I move things around. I make the project happen. I have no authority. I could not fire anybody. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't make anybody do anything on a like management level, you know? Like I can't, you know, I can't make huge company-wide decisions, right? But I am tasked 
with these certain projects to manifest. And just like Seven is a project manager of the Alliance when we first mm -hmm. meet her in Voyager, right? She's a project right. manager. And at, and Morgan, as you were saying, it's interesting that the queen or the, like the board would select a woman to be that representative. And, and I think that is reflective of the board queen who also in Voyager is like, Seven, you are my favorite or something, right? Doesn't she say something about like, I feel an affinity I like you, like she feels mm -hmm. an affinity for seven out of nine, which does imply some weird deep level of individuality. And then there's that like Borg dream space that they all live, that they can all visit each other in. It's just like, mm -hmm. they're constantly fleshing it out in, a, in, in terms of like a writerly way. And, and the introduction of the Borg Queen is such a great twist. And I, which is funny because I feel like they really did it. And I think I've read a little bit about it just in terms of screenwriting, just from a writerly perspective, the introduction of the Borg Queen was critical for for like raising the stakes, the emotional stakes and moving the plot forward. Cause you needed to be able to have Data and Picard uh, having like a dialogue with an antagonist like it has to be mm -hmm. a, there has to be an actor has to be a one-on-one -on -one in order to have drama in a film and so it's one of those things where it's like you know writing influences plot i totally agree i think it's a conversation for for another episode i, I could talk about it all day is the through line of seven having a, a, a tertiary adjunct so close to the queen and eventually one being her representative, the Borg's representative with Voyager, being her chosen one that she tried to basically, she was siren called by the queen to save Voyager because she threatened her. She said, if you don't come be with me, I'm going to kill them. And then to Picard, when she so easily, which kind of threw me off, took over the queen's portal in that specific in that specific cube in season one to her such innate knowledge of the queen in season two. Like that's kind of been a narrative. I think they've been, they've been kind of bringing through and that honestly might have something to do with, um, with, with her uh, innate individuality. Like you said, Morgan, she was always kind of sassy Meaning I think she did still somehow retain a bit of individuality while still needing the collective. Because I mean, of course, when she was assimilated, she didn't have any defined personality because she was only six years old. So everything she was up to that point pretty much came from the board. I think that's where my interpretation of the book queen as not much more than another drone came from. Because Seven does know so much, I assumed every drone knows the book queen as intimately that her her thoughts are transmitted to every book equally. I guess I didn't think that there's specialization in that communication, and that's where most of my theories of she's she's um, project manager as uh, Stephanie said came from because I thought I thought every book had this knowledge. Picard didn't seem to remember her until the events of first contact though so do you think maybe like those memories were like erased or did he suppress them out of I trauma like because that is another erased. level of that's another level of violation that's getting into he sexual violence. 
he wasn't fully assimilated, was he? It was assumed he was. Yeah, wasn't. yeah, he was. I, I don't think they would have been able to plant the sleep command if he hadn't been fully assimilated. So it's like he remembers her when he meets her. So it's like the memories are there. It's not like they wiped them. So it's like, was this was this just suppression in order to protect himself? Because he says when he when he's broken away from the collective mm-hmm. at the end of Best of Both Worlds Part Two, I I remember all of it. Like he remembers all of it, but apparently mm-hmm. not the Borg Queen. So I I mean suppression seems like I the think most it's logical a, explanation. Partition. It's it's a it's a coping mechanism. Because he even, he doesn't specifically allude to the queen, but he does mention the feeling of nothingness, of being nothing when he goes home and he cries with Robert. After they've argued and all of that, he's like, his brother, even minimally, is like, you don't seem okay. You don't seem like you. And he's like, I-, I wasn't. And it took him a long time. And especially tying it back into Picard, he's when Seven and him are talking, and she asks him, did he ever get it all back? And he says no. Hmm, that's right. Yeah. Oof. Oof. If I could just comment quickly on the aesthetics of the book, they always freak me out, especially the bug queen. Her spine always freaked me out, but in Picard mm-hmm. season two, when she was crawling on the ground, I I jumped back. I was like, oh nope, nope, I'm no, we're not gonna do that right now. Um, but they did such a good yeah. job with them aesthetically. We have this zombie vibe, but it's even more scary with all this tech and. I, I I guess I'd rather be bitten by a zombie than have things drawn in my head. It's it's terrifying. Well, that just reminds me of just the, I don't know, I guess the evolution of how characters look in Star Trek or just about any franchise, you know, just how they improve the look. Because uh, just, you know, doing my homework for the podcast, watching the TNG episodes, I was like, I don't remember these guys looking so goofy. Like when they when they first get on the ship, I'm just like I was just kind of like <laughs> chuckling to myself because yeah, the queen in Picard is the stuff of nightmares, and uh, and uh, just yeah the the early '90s version was was not so much. Yeah, the tech is definitely vastly improved. They were very clunky in the original iterations and the streamline version that we get is like this is very frightening like it, it it's very frightening and I think they made it look more realistic which is even more terrifying because you, you see them yeah. basically taking you apart and putting mm-hmm. in what they need for you to be in that Ugh. specific moment it's like what I don't like that drill scene in first contact like the, mm. the the drill with Picard, I don't want to get into too many details, but that mm. scene is gross. I'm just glad that in Picard season two, the Borg Queen is much less moist. You know, like I feel like in I feel like in First Contact, it's just like real humid. Obviously, we know it's real humid in there, and she is just dewy, and it's so yeah, she's it's like alien. Guess, yeah. You know, it's like Giger. Like it's already so Giger. I'm just like, oh my god, she's like clammy looking. It's so disturbing but yeah when she's like crawling on the floor of Picard season two I was just like nope I'm noping out of here nope 
yeah, you want to tell her to drink some water, right? Like, really, in first contact. You want to be like, is everyone, do you have enough water? Is there, I don't see any, like, Tell everyone barrels. You Get everyone some rice paper. Like, maybe take a minute. I just, I just hosted, like, the, the imagery of expansion is just really freaky, too. Just everything they do with her is just it gives me nightmares. But e- even the regular book, as as freaky as and clunky as they are, I I would not want to be in a Borg cube. I think the Borg cube looks cool though. I'm gonna be honest. Like those ships, those cube ships, and the way that they like they're like weird cube brains almost, and the the lights in them, and and the like. You know the the regeneration chambers uh, you know with the like you know lightning thing that they got from spencer's gifts you know above their heads yeah. you know like i just yeah. i just really think it looks cool and weird and like evil swedish you know like i i don't know i think the board cubes are cool i love the scenes where they turn in voyager like they're like species yeah. what is it eight eight four seventeen there you go and they're like, they're zapping their freak beams, and then the cube just like rotates to get and protect Voyager. Like, it's a good scene. <laughs> end game, end game. When Voyager's like in the nebula and one like almost hits it, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Acting Captain podcast in our discussion regarding the Borg. Our next acting captain is Lieutenant Commander Morgan. Yes, and next time I would like to discuss the themes to all of the different Star Trek series. So I want to get the crew's opinion. I am definitely going to share my own. And uh, your homework before the next episode is to just get on YouTube or whatever and listen to all of the themes from the Star Trek series, from the original series, all the way up until um, Strange New Worlds. And now I'm going to turn it over to Ensign Lily for more information. Yes, if you like the Acting Captain podcast, think about leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can reach us on social media, on Instagram, we are Acting Captain Podcast. And on Twitter, we are Acting Captain Pod, Acting C-A-P-T-P-O-D. And we would like to thank Kelly for our theme song. And you can find her on social media at The Nerdy Flutist. And thank you to the Nerd Track Network for hosting the Acting Captain podcast. We will see you whenever we see you. Do any of you guys know the show, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt? Yes. Yes. I've been re-watching it and just Stephanie reminded me of a hilarious scene because she was talking about like women being leaders of cults, which like doesn't really happen. And there's a scene where a yeah. woman tries to start a cult, and she's like, "Well, the men are always going after teenage girls, so I just got a bunch of teenage boys, and they're terrible." And she just <laughs> has this room full of boys, and they're just like, "We can't, I can't find my shirt," and they're like just <laughs> annoying her, and she's just making a bunch of 